house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. got to go through your dad's stuff. There's nothing up there. There are 103 notebooks. I'm prepared to look at every page. Are you? No. How long have you known about this? We found something potentially major. All newspapers around the world are going to want to talk to the person who found this notebook. He didn't write it. I mean, he couldn't have. I don't believe a mind like his can just shut down. You're not taking anything out of this house. I wouldn't do you're, that. You're hoping to find something upstairs you can publish? No, it'd be for your dad. I thought we'd have some people over tonight, if you're feeling okay. You think I'm like dad? I think you have some of his talent and some of his tendency toward instability. I'm afraid of like my dad. You are not him. Maybe I will be. Maybe, and maybe you'll be better. There is nothing wrong with you. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast barking out presidential orders from the shitter just like Liev Schreiber. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my definitely not imaginary co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Chris File exists. Stop saying Chris File. (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite moments in the movie that was one of those moments and there were several in this movie where i was like oh i wish i had seen that on the stage like i feel like there are moments in in the movie proof that are um funny but i'm like oh that must have been like you know how like things are just funnier in a play like when you're in the room and the show is like maybe 20 times funnier than the movie always there's like there's like laugh lines that they totally just like choke on in the movie and that is the case in almost every adaptation of a stage play i think there's something about the sort of tension of being there in person in the room with the performers that like the breaking of that tension is such so much more of a release than it is ever in a movie which like just by virtue of the medium that you know cannot not be true but yeah so many things in this movie really really made me feel like i wish i had seen the play but we will super get into that and we'll get into my whole we will mary louise parker thing as we go along i'm excited to talk about this movie chris i um i'm glad you're excited because i feel like this is one i've been badgering you for a long time for us to do (laughs) and you've kind of like rolled your eyes at me i was really resistant because my memories of seeing this movie were like eh meh I didn't yeah. like I you were had, not wrong. I had had a lot of anticipation, but like I'm gonna say, watching it a second time, I liked it a good deal better. And I'm excited. I forgot how short it is yes! too. <gasps> so short. Um, and a some of the tight stuff we've been watching, minutes. it's like Yeah, yeah. Um a tight hundred minutes and it kind of flies by. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, I was just like, holy shit, there's only a half an hour left in this movie. I was like, it was, it, I, I, in my memory, this was a, a more of a slog of a movie or more of a bore. And I wasn't bored this time. And 
maybe that says something for like active watching when you're like you know preparing for something like this but like you know who knows we'll get into it too because i think there's uh also some of it of that has to do with this movie sitting on a shelf that like made the resulting movie less than exciting too sure oh Um, yeah well, and it came out at a time that was like very fraught for Miramax. So, like the the um, uh, publicity push for it was very anemic and very sort of half hearted. And it gets the <laughs> it gets the sad lone Golden Globe nomination for Gwyneth Paltrow, which like you almost would rather nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, nothing would almost seem would almost nomination. seem less of a less of a insult almost where it's just like it's such an afterthought nomination. It's such a just like mm-hmm. oh we need one more what who Gwyneth just throw Gwyneth in there. Just like whatever. It's the Kate Winslet in Labor Day <laughs> nomination where it's just like <laughs> who else do we have in the hopper? Like Kate Winslet? Okay, yeah, she was in a movie. Let's put her in there. Uh, you've already invoked the the movie Labor Day. We will at some point have to talk about Labor Day. Oh, God, talking Ugh. about movies that I don't want to do. <laughs> talk about, you know, pie baking as pie. a metaphor for fucking. For um, Everything in that movie is a metaphor for fucking, I will tell you that. Basically, basically, basically. Um, also, two other things I want to bring up. A- Happy Pride. We haven't mentioned this is Pride Month. Uh, This week, I would really like to spotlight and encourage all of our listeners to donate to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Um, They can do so at MarshaP.org. This is going to go to support the black trans community here in America. They do a lot to protect and defend their human rights. Um, Please donate to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. That's MarshaP.org. M-A-R-S-H-A-P.org. Also, here for proof, our 99th episode. Yes. We are one episode away. on the cusp. From our 100th episode. Those who follow us on Twitter when I was doing the monthly tease of titles, very many people saw that proof was in there because we put a liquor bottle on there that said (laughs) the word proof. However... Me, in my not infinite wisdom, chose a bottle of liquor. That was a hundred proof. Was a f- <laughs> and everybody thought that episode 100 would be proof. Not quite. I apologize to those of you who might be disappointed. I we will have say. something very exciting coming next week. I appreciate the ingenuity, though. I appreciate the ingenuity of our of our listeners who went that extra mile and were just like, not only proof, but a hundred proof. Like... As ever, our listeners are the smarties, and I am a dum-dum. So, yeah. I, sorry, I just wanted to let that linger in there. I wanted to let you sit in the discomfort of you saying you're a dum-dum. The discomfort of my stupidity. You yes, are not yes, a dum-dum. Absolutely. No, uh, we are just very excited for episode 100. And one more week. One more week to uh, sit in the uncertainty. Wild, man. Yeah. Uh, speaking of smart people, proof. Is this or is this not retroactively the biopic of the math lady meme? Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually, like that's Anthony Hopkins's role in this is essentially just sort of like pausing and staring off into the middle distance and calculating numbers in his head mm-hmm. as like signs and cosines like come up above his head. Yeah, it's. He's the role, I mean, sort of unsurprisingly, he's the role in this movie I kind of wish you could recast. He's so much 
bigger than anything else in this movie. And also not hiding his Welsh, his Welsh accent one bit, which is makes <laughs> very little sense considering spent his, his entire are. life in Chicago. Yeah. As a Welshman. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like I forgot how Chicago y this uh this movie and thus uh, the play is um when i saw it the first time it is i i think when i seen it initially and then you know remembering it i was just like oh it takes place in like some sort of college town but it's like it's very specifically uh chicago in this which very specifically chicago london where are the two cities that this movie was shot in oh interesting what what were the scenes that were shot in london i have no idea and i was trying to spot it Maybe it was a set, like maybe that house was maybe shot maybe in- the interiors. Well, I will say the the front porch of this house. The play very sort of famously takes place on a back porch, um, which I think is interesting because it makes the, the the setting feel a little bit more um, not like rural, but like maybe more like small towny than mm-hmm. it it you know than Chicago Perhaps would private. suggest. But, like, the house that they chose for the exteriors of this movie, this front sort of, like, stone and and wood sort of, like, wraparound porch, I was so incredibly envious of that. I was just, like, (laughs) I could just, like, exist for my entire life on... Uh, on that porch and i there's a lot of talk about the house in the movie about how the house is too big for them and it's you know drafty and it's a bitch to heat in the winter and yada 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 and that the university has sort of had its eye on it forever and it's just like that makes sense that's makes you know that kind of a house makes sense as like a university owned either like you know they'd turn it into some sort of offices or professor residency or something like that but Mm-hmm. It's an amazing house. One of those like big, beautiful, giant like things that you know is just filled with a bunch of like books and shit. And yeah. truly that's what this house is. It's one of those things when you talk about adapting a play into a movie and you're you're always sort of talking about how um to keep it from seeming stage bound, you want to sort of like open it up. And what does that mean for a play like Proof, which is very much a play about um ideas and sort of like very sort of like uh, human level interactions and nothing that sort of automatically makes you feel like, oh, this is a natural uh, way to kind of mm-hmm. make this bigger and more cinematic. And so, uh, John Madden, the director, I don't know if he's ever super successful at doing so. I think one of probably the worst moment in the movie is probably the moment that feels most effortful in trying to open it up and make it less stage-bound, which is the part where Gyllenhaal (laughs) is chasing after the car and, like, flings the notebook into the open window of the car. It's embarrassingly bad. It's really, really, really terrible. And there's also just, like, basic things where it's, like, when uh, Catherine and Claire are you know, having their long conversations about, you know, moving to New York, the life that she lived with her father, all of that. Uh, Instead of staying on the porch, they go to a mall and have this conversation. Things like that, where it's like, you're really just transposing it into a different location. Right. But I think one of the... For the sake of it. Yeah. One of the successful things that, that they're able to do, though, is I think that scene towards the beginning where they have the kind of after 
memorial service get together, right? The mm-hmm. the sort of the party at the house. And you see A, just how big the house is. B, like what kind of sort of crowd you get where it's a lot of like um academics letting their hair down and then this like crowd of like mathematician groupies and like sort of like young students and the band is there that sort of like geeky band that Gyllenhaal is in and I think oh okay well that at least feels like oh this now feels alive in a way a film should feel alive whereas you know the play doesn't you know doesn't opt for that a because it can't really and b um that's not sort of what it's going for this made me want to see the play so bad watching this movie it truly did okay but here's the thing it's like this is one of it obviously very successful it won tony's did it, it won the pulitzer too it won the yes. pulitzer prize for drama it won the tony award for best play and best actress for mary louise parker this was her big she had obviously been in movies before this she was in fried green tomatoes she was in the client um and she had been in theater before this as well she was in prelude to a kiss mm-hmm. at the very least um but this was her big sort of like level up moment where and we'll talk about level up moments also with regards to Jake Gyllenhaal in this film. Um, Mm -hmm. But this was like the big Mary Louise Parker ascendancy. This was just before this basically is what got her the angels in America role, the West wing role Mm -hmm. ultimately like this is, you know what ascends her career and um Opens in early 2001, written by uh, uh, David Auburn. The play opens off-Broadway at Manhattan Theatre Club and then transfers to Broadway fairly quickly, um, early 2001, and then by, you know, whatever, June 2001, it's it's winning the Tony Awards. And obviously ran I... Ran for a long time. Ran for a very long time, for a play especially. For a straight play, Went yeah. until January of 2003. Three, which is like attracted people like Jennifer Jason Lee in the lead role. I saw it with Anne Heche Did you? opposite uh, Neil, Neil Patrick, Patrick Harris. Harris. Yikes! Um, How was it? What was that? What was the experience of seeing? It was great. Yeah, it was great. And of course, I was a brace faced teenager. I yeah. did the stage door and everything. I uh, think I've told you this story before. I don't think you have. Um, no, this is the one where, like, uh, Anne Heche, this this is when I, of course, thought I was uh, going to be an actor, uh-huh. um, be, and I was, like, maybe 12 years old, 13 oh, years old. Oh, my God. It's adorable. And this is when I was, like, meekly, like, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> and she, like, looks me in the eye, and she's like, yes, you can say that with confidence. You can you can just say whatever you need to say confidently. Oh, my like, God, not, you've like, never told me the story, because like, I would have died. It was also clearly, like, this little gay boy. <gasps> Anne Heche is the best. Yeah. I absolutely love her. Um, I do like Anne One Heche. of my very favorite celebrity interviews I've ever done. Um, I've told you the fact that my, my old roommate was uh, the dresser on proof right for yes um yes she's yes, mary yes, louise's yes, yes. dresser she stayed on with uh, jennifer jason lee and Anne heche um i'm sure that was not an easy job because i if i remember correctly there's like a fully psychotic um quick change that oh, the yeah. character has to do yes it's funny because i watched um 
in my sort of YouTube deep dive for this, I found an interview clip of Mary Louise on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Rosie O'Donnell, of course, famously was like very tuned into what was going on on Broadway at all times. She had, you know, interviews with most of the major theater people of the moment. And one of the questions she actually asked Mary Louise is, have you ever missed a quick change? And I was like, that's an interesting question. question. This was also right when Rosie was doing, I believe, Susicle. So Rosie had just started performances in Susicle. So she's very much like, you know, trying to relate to Mary Louise on like an actress to actress thing. And -hmm. so she mentioned the quick change thing. And that actually now makes a lot of sense if, if you're saying there was a sort of famously chaotic quick change it's like i forget what she has to like change in and out of but it's like immediate it's like you have like 60 seconds to do a while oh my god oh i'll have to ask jen about Um, that shout out to jen lyons um yeah uh it's the most early 2000s play though to get back to like the movie and like what it is in terms of it's just a bunch of people talking on stage about stuff it has aged very poorly in terms of, like, why were we obsessed with this? Um, in terms of, like, watching it now and Wait, being like, this isn't poorly, all though? that exciting. It's just, I think because of the amount of prestige that it got at the time, and now it feels so far away that, like, now on a play basis, it's like they're doing it in, you know, community theaters everywhere. Right. It's, like, so ubiquitous but at the same time is not all that exciting to watch in my opinion. I'll see. All right. I'm going to actually take a little different tack because I was hoping that I would be able to find some kind of like bootleggy, you know, terrible video quality, uh, YouTube <laughs> of, uh, the original production of proof and wasn't able to find it. But what I did find, uh, there's a lot of, as you say, like, community theater productions and and college productions and stuff like that. And even just watching those, which is like, usually, it's it's a pale substitute when you're looking for, you know, a video of of a Broadway play. But watching that, I was like, oh, I would have been very riveted by this. I would have been very into this. I think it's the kind of sort of like, you know, four characters excavating these memories of their father and sort of what was going on in that house in the last few years and, you know, things that they're not telling each other. And then Hale shows up and he's got his own uh, agenda. And like, obviously, it's not... It's not breaking new ground formally, or even the subject matter is unusual, you know, this whole play Mm -hmm. about, you know, a math proof. But it's not like, but, you know, plays sort of, you know, burrow their way into very specific subjects all the time. But Mm -hmm. as a play, as written... I also uh, read some of the play this week. I really sort of got into... (laughs) This is my week of, like, getting into proof, finally, in 2020. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I was like, I have a feeling I would have been, like, deeply, deeply into it. And I still kind of, like, I still find it interesting and kind of riveting now, so... Well, some of the language of it, too, it's, like, it's a little bit drunk on its own supply of its wit, and, like, it is very... The first time you're hearing this dialogue, it is way more, like, catching, I guess, yeah. than it is when you've heard it multiple times, you know? Um, it it feels very early 2000s stage wit to me. Yeah. 
But also, it's very early two. This is very early two thousand in terms of when film adaptations were happening, and there were a lot of. I'm sure we'll talk about it as we really get into like the awards conversation for this movie. There's a lot of not just Broadway plays, but off Broadway plays that were getting adapted into movies that had success on the stage that was expected to be an immediate translation into Oscar. Right. That's that's a big subject I want to delve into because it, this feels emblematic of the struggles of trying to translate what on stage felt vital and magical and and super impactful and and the struggles to have something feel the same way in a film. The one other thing, though, before we get into... Because I am going to make you do a 60-second plot description. Um, Whoop. Uh, but while this is on Broadway, like I said, it premieres on Broadway, uh, or opens on Broadway in January, I believe, of 01, and runs almost two years. And mm-hmm. while that is going on, there's a London production that is directed by John Madden and starring Gwyneth Paltrow. And so with... At the Donmar Warehouse, which was like bigger deal in the early 2000s in terms of like what they would bring to the states like the sam mendes rob marshall cabaret originated at the don Ah, warehouse i believe okay yeah that is that that's and that you know feels pretty significant and so when then miramax gets the rights to the film adaptation it is deeply unsurprising that they would go for Madden and Paltrow, obviously the the reteaming of the two of them for the first time since Shakespeare in Love, which was such a you know huge success for everybody involved, and it you know it's kind of a no brainer that that's what you would do for the film adaptation. But like in some sort of parallel universe, I would really have died to see to let Mary Louise Parker do the film adaptation of it as well. I'm not saying that would have been any more successful as an Oscar play. I think it still has the same limitations. But like and normally I'm very much a big proponent of film roles require something different than what stage roles do and I don't I mm-hmm. think when when you when you see a lot of sort of like griping about um a uh, uh, stage to screen adaptation casting movie stars rather than um, Broadway stars. I normally don't mind that, and I'm actually m- usually in favor of casting movie stars because, like, there is a different requirement. There's something capturing, you know, attention and sort of and holding that attention in a film. There's just like it. It does require different things, and I'm not saying you can't be good at both. Many people can. But I do understand the idea that, like, you want to cast for, you know, the spectacle as much as possible, right? So, like, I get that. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I think this is a small-scale movie anyway. It's not like you were turning this into some sort of, like, big extravaganza. And it only made $7.5 at the box office. So, like, most of the people who are going to watch this... It's still kind of shocking for, like, how much of an afterthought of a release it was that it even made that much money. It's probably a testament to, you know, Gwyneth's star power that it was able to make Mm -hmm. even that much money. But I think when you're talking about that, I think 
there's nothing that's done in this movie that Mary Louise Parker couldn't have knocked out of the ballpark anyway. And it would have been really cool to be able to see her do that and sort of like, you know, take ownership of this role in the, in the transfer is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I am a no, I fucking giant Mary Louise Parker fan. I, I watched <laughs> a lot. I watched her Tony acceptance speech, which a Gwyneth Paltrow presents the Tony for a, uh, actress in a play this year so like that's an interesting little footnote in history and fascinating she also um she really makes a point to thank billy crudup because they were still together at that point and that's always sort of like a little bit of an arrow in the heart because obviously their relationship ended under pretty bad uh (laughs) pretty bad circumstances (laughs) he left her while she was pregnant and uh, left her for Claire Danes while uh, while she was pregnant. So, but I do. Which I'm sure we'll get into whenever we do stage beauty. We will do stage beauty. I kind of really love stage beauty. Oh, that was the other thing. In um, I'm bouncing everywhere. I'm sorry. Um, in that Rosie O'Donnell interview is, and that's again early 2001. Rosie makes a point to say to Mary Louise that she thinks Billy Crudup is going to get an Oscar nomination for Jesus's Son. She's like at an apparent. I. I didn't remember that being like that big a thing that like Rosie would have mentioned that on like her show. And so apparently the Oscar buzz for Jesus' son was like maybe more than I even remembered it being. I sort of thought that I was the weird. It was an Indie Spirit nominee, right? Or did he win Indie Spirit or something? I don't know if he won, but I think you're right that it was a Spirit nominee. uh, I will look that one up right now. All this said, Billy Crudup is a wonderful actor. Oh, I fucking love Billy Crudup. Like that's the thing. When when that sort of happened, I uh, I very much tried to remain a fan of both of them because uh, they both deserved it. So, uh, Independent Spirit Awards nominated for Best Male Lead. Let's see who he lost to at the O One Spirits. Who I wonder. If I hate it when the IMDb this. doesn't list the nominations in like order of. Uh, prestige like it doesn't have like best film at the top like yeah i don't like that they alphabetize it totally um ooh, i wonder if i can guess that a uh, 2001 indie spirit so this would be for actor. the films of 2000 oh okay so the films of 2000 um there's gonna be things in 2000 like chuck and buck weirdly chuck and buck gets nominated for a bunch of stuff but not uh, in this category. Let's Not see. in the male acting categories. Um, oh, there was still a debut performance category then. So that oh, was, Mike White was nominated for that. Loses out to Michelle Rodriguez in Girl Fight. Interesting. Awesome. Enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't think Javier Bardem was nominated because they have that weird role that if it's not American financing, it's considered international for them. Though it is, that is an American director. Mm-hmm. Was Bar- Javier Bardem nominated? Yep. Or did he win? He won. Javier Bardem oh, wins he won. Okay. for okay, Before okay, Night okay. Falls. That was his big precursor on the road to getting an Oscar nomination. He's the only one in that category who did get an Oscar nomination. Um, I will say two of these are performances and films i don't imagine you'll get so i'll just say one of them is adrian brody for a film called restaurant and one of them which is like adrian brody even before oh no it's right after summer of sam so um he had just sort of become a thing and the other uh 
the other nominee is Hill Harper for a film called The Visit, which I also didn't know about. But the fifth nominee in this category, hugely deserved, was really the only venue that recognized him, weirdly enough. Like, absolutely deserved an Oscar nomination. The film was nominated for other awards, and it's somewhat... The only reason that he wasn't sort of, like, swept along is... This was his essentially his screen debut. Like, if it wasn't technically his screen debut, it's the okay. first thing anybody ever saw him in. So, is it a young performer at the time? Yeah, okay. not like a kid, but like, but like twenty years old in his twenties. Oh, okay. Nominated for other things. Year two thousand. It's not going to be like traffic. It's um. It is not traffic. Uh, was it like a screenplay nominee? It was. Okay. What were it the won best screenplay year? at the Spirits. It's not almost famous. That was too expensive. Correct. Um. Okay. Crap. What are the screenplay nominees that year that would have had a male lead performance? Adapted screenplay. Uh, original. Original. Okay, so original screenplay. Almost Famous wins. Oh, it's uh, Jamie Bell. No, it's not Jamie Bell, but that's a good guess. But it's not. Oh, well, that's British anyway. Yeah. Um, so, Billy Elliot. Um, Billy Elliot, Almost Famous. It's not Almost Famous, otherwise I'd say Patrick Fugit. Um, older. Think older. You're, you're thinking too young. Too young. Okay. Then the other original screenplays were Gladiator. We just talked about this. Mm-hmm. Did I say Aaron Bro- Billy Elliot, almost famous Aaron Brockovich, Gladiator, and what is that fifth nominee? It's also an acting nominee. For origin- oh, is it Mark Ruffalo? It's Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo for You Can Count God, Me. God, so deserved. So deserved. Like, it still is, it still pains me that he didn't get an Oscar nomination for that because he is and I'm sure part of it was that took me that long to get to that they didn't know I almost was just like you want to have all the sex with this man (laughs) me being the house matron of the Ruffalo house of thirst (laughs) taking forever to get there yeah it's such a good performance he's so fantastic in that movie and it's such a that movie is such a clear two-hander like you can't like Linny's phenomenal in that movie she'd be my oscar winner that year but like you can't have one without the other they're both so good together i it's it flabbergasts me that 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 it's not a package deal anyway how did we get there anyway billy crudup jesus's son mary louise parker (laughs) okay okay follow the breadcrumbs back would you like to take a stab at a 60 second plot description of this film you know, let's do it. This is, it's, like I said, it's only a hundred minutes. There's not a ton going on. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the film is Proof, 2005's Proof, directed by John Madden, written by David Auburn and Rebecca Miller, adapted from Auburn's Pulitzer Prize winning play, starring Gwyneth Paltrow, Jake Gyllenhaal, Hope Davis. We'll get into Hope Davis. She's so funny movie um and anthony hopkins it premiered in september 2005 at the venice and toronto film festivals before opening in limited release on september 16th 2005 christopher how about 60 seconds on the clock and you tell us what proof's all about i think i have this i think i have this i'm happy to take one on since i'm terrible at this that i don't think will be terribly challenging all right ready and 
There you go. All right, proof follows Catherine. She is a young woman and grad school dropout who um, father recently passed away. She dropped out of school to take care of him. He's like a legendary mathematician. She was also studying mathematics as well, but she's starting to see visions of him and having talking and talking to him uh, the day before his funeral. Meanwhile, uh, his student Hal has been like going through their. Uh, her father's stuff and they're having like a flirtation anyway her sister claire arrives and is like hey come move to new york i bought you shampoo 30 seconds um, then after the funeral there's a party she sleep uh catherine sleeps with hal and then the next morning uh learns that claire is selling their house and also hal finds a proof that looks to be some like legendary like all changing proof and we Catherine says that it's hers. They accuse her of stealing it from her father. We flash back to see that her father was going crazy the whole time and never could have written it anyway. And at the end, it's all resolved. And yes, Catherine did write this. With four seconds to spare. Very good job. Well done. Um, As you so disgustingly texted me the other day. Yes. Hal says the proof, the proof, the proof is on fire. (laughs) It's all I could do. It's I have to I go buy do. a new phone. I took a sledgehammer to my phone after you. One of those we mentioned this earlier, but one of those scenes um, that feels like it would have been really, really funny uh, on stage is the scene where Jake's character says the word "proof" like twenty times in the span of ten seconds, and then all of a sudden okay. there's a beat, and Hope Davis just goes, "What does it prove?" Like it's. It's such a, like, Here's... tension breaker. I was gonna wait until we were, like, really into the this point of the conversation about this movie of why I'm like, what? Why? why? It, like, I get it. Like, it's very, it's an entertaining show. Like, you can watch it. You can get wrapped up in, like, this very clear, like, problem with these witty people that, like, know how to have an interesting conversation together. But, like... This movie is as the and the script is as vague about mental illness as it is mathematics. And I get like we're not going to understand any of this. If they really got into any true mathematics or like trigonometry, we would probably it would either be a very boring yeah. or b we would become the math lady of like what the hell are they talking right. about? Right. But at the same time, they're asking him what the proof is, and he's like, "Well, it's a proof that they've been trying to prove since there were proofs anyway." Yeah, it's that scene. That's it, the scene I'm talking. I about. can't yeah. say what it proves, but it's a very important proof, right. and like that's almost verbatim from what they. It say. is. Um, it, it absolutely is. <laughs> um, but okay, so yes, granted, yes the vagueness and i get that but also i think the vagueness of the proof and honestly the vagueness of as you mentioned like the mental illness i think a makes sense because if we're if Catherine's our focal point in this thing like she's not she's her confusion about this about you know what she's going through and whether she is sort of becoming like her father makes sense but b i mean it's a very simple like it's about a math proof, but it's also about what proof do you need to believe somebody who blah, 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 like, or what mm-hmm. proof, like, but to me, that is effective. To me, the fact that Catherine is going through this whole story looking for proof that she is or isn't going crazy. And mm-hmm. at this, and then you enter, you add this other wrinkle where then she has to find, she finds herself unable to prove that she did author this, you know, she did write down this proof in the notebook, even though it's the same handwriting as her father's. It's that the circumstances are sort of against her, even though the most sort of 
the most damning thing against her when she's trying to argue to both Hale and Claire at the same time that she did write it is that neither one of them thinks she could have done it. And that's basically all the proof that they need. And Mm -hmm. like, to me, that is very effective. I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting story. I know I'm like, probably like that part of it is very interesting, but it's like the more you kind of like squint and trying, try to figure out what it's, I mean, A, all of the math stuff is vague. You can understand why, but it's almost comically so. Like when, as you mentioned, Jake Gyllenhaal says proof 15 times yeah. in 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, uh, it, the mental illness part of it, though, it's like it's not clear what her father suffers from. Though you could maybe conjecture that he was a schizophrenic. Yeah. But hers, it's just like, maybe I'm crazy because he was crazy. And it's like, really, she's just a depressed person, and you can see why. There's no real sign well, of her other than, you know, conjuring her father and talking to him um, in a corporeal form when he's already been right. dead. There's no real... But I think that also thing to hang the movie's hat on with how she could possibly be suffering from mental illness herself aside from depression. Well, yes, I think that's true, but also again, within the context of the story to me that makes sense because a it's this is, you know, so much of this movie is about what she inherited from her father. Did she inherit mm-hmm. this sort of like mathematical genius or did she inherit this, you know, madness, but also it's about what she sort of um was able to learn from her father. So it's just like, yes, she could have been like born with this genius and born with this madness, or the fact that she was sort of cooped up with her father for all these years, especially, you know, as he's deteriorating, whether that environment, it's almost like a nature versus nurture thing, right? Where like her, that environment nurtured not only this kind of depression slash stir craziness within her, but also was a, that's how she was able, she mentions at one point where he's like, you've, you know, you dropped out, out, out of, you had one semester of math classes at Northwestern. And she's like, that's not where I studied. Like, that's not where mm-hmm. I learned this shit. I learned this shit from living in this house for all these years. And I think that is an angle that makes sense to me too, where it's just like, oh, okay. It's, you know, as she's wondering, you know, what, what's going on with me? Could I have, you know, could I have this? It's also the fact that she's just like been cooped up in this insane environment for all these years while Claire has been, you know, as she says, like living her life in New York. And and I think I like that the play sort of allows Claire to kind of defend herself too, where she's just like, mm-hmm. I was paying off this house while I was living in a studio in Brooklyn and all this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the sister relationship is, almost a little bit more interesting to me than, like, the flirtation... Well, definitely more so than this, like, love story that yeah. I don't... No. That feels a little pigeonholed into it. But, like, the sister stuff is interesting because I'll watch that any day of the week of, yeah. like, they're both right, but they're, you know, not listening to each other or not, you know... Right. They can't find allegiance in each other. On stage, uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal role is played by Ben Schenkman, as, and as I texted you as I just started to watch this movie, and I'm also sort of like digging through the clips of proof on, uh, on YouTube, that it was really weird watching uh, Harper Pitt and, um, and Lewis from Angels in America uh, make out, and it just felt like the universe was turned on its side. 
<laughs> yes, I indeed. do love relating everything to Angels in America. Proof also opened on Broadway in the same theater that Angels in America. The Walter Kerr, yeah, nice. Yes, excellent. Yeah, this was Originally, a good uh, two and a half years before the HBO production of Angels in America. But like I said, it it's, does not surprise me that you know Mary Louise's performance in Proof would have gotten her to the point where she got cast in something like that which then uh got her to the point of having a perpetual appendage of an iced coffee and a very long straw yes this feels like the kind of play where she could have a a, an iced coffee with a very long straw in her sort of claw-like hand um at all times like that would have fit this character i think really well it also feels and i again didn't see this on stage so i don't know feels like the kind of play where the main character wears some kind of long cardigan sweater at all times. Oh, I think it was a robe, actually. Oh, interesting. Like a robe and pajamas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all four main character, uh, all four uh, performers in the play were nominated for Tony Awards. So in the sort of buzzy, long lead forecast for the film version of Proof, all four lead lead actors were getting some kind of level of oscar buzz i think especially gwyneth and anthony hopkins but i remember there being a decent amount of buzz early sort of long lead buzz for hope davis and she's so fucking good in this movie yeah i think gwyneth is legitimately good in this oh absolutely and i think hope davis is Probably the best thing, the most, the uh, feels closest to what the tone should be because I think she's also the funniest. Yeah. Um, Hope Davis, though, it was definitely like the time of we think a Hope Davis nomination will be coming soon. Right. American Splendor a- was still 2003. Yeah. I think that's probably the closest she's ever come to a nomination. And I feel like probably, so 2003, do you feel like Hope Davis? is, like, sixth place for supporting actress that year? I'm so curious because, like, there were a lot of pundits at the time that thought that American Splendor would break through in some real type of way, and that's a movie I like a lot more now than I did at the time. It was a screenplay nominee, right? Am I wrong about that? Yes, it was a screenplay nominee. Maybe she was sixth place... I'm trying to think of like who else. So that's the year I've that wiped all of 2003 out of my brain after we <laughs> did a miniseries. miniseries last year. Yeah. Um, Renee had won for Cold Mountain. Other nominees were Shori Agadashlu for House of Sand and Fog, Patricia Clarkson for the awful pieces of April, and she would have been a much better nominee for the station agent. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden for I mean, Mystic- maybe Patty Clark's was sixth place for the station agent. It's possible. Marsha Gay Harden for Mystic River. I think you probably would have also found Laura Linney on a long list for a possible nomination that year. I hate that monologue. Uh, I do kind of love that monologue, but probably only because Laura Linney is delivering it. Like, in, within the context of the movie, yeah. Like, it's, it's a real... Uh, a heady turn for sure um and then holly hunter for 13 who is great incredible but yeah i feel like hope davis uh had gotten some sort of precursor attention for american splendor that year and probably if not sixth maybe like seventh like she's Mm -hmm. you know within that you know first circle of uh outside of the nominations 
but yeah, this is a really interesting sort of era for her. She's, mm-hmm. I think also wasn't Secret Life of Dentists this? That might have been 03 or 04, but it is of this period where it's like she's someone that you're paying attention to because you think their first nomination is coming soon mm-hmm. or like that's she's someone who's part of the conversation in that way. Yeah, I'm looking at her um, filmography now. So I think you can go About Schmidt and Secret Life of Dentists, Secret Lives of Dentists in 02, American Splendor 03. She's in The Matador in 05, uh, which is a movie oh I have not seen, but that's the Pierce Brosnan, uh, Greg Kinnear movie. And that's the same year as Proof. Also, she's in The Weatherman this year with uh, Nicolas Cage, the Gore Verbinski movie, The Weatherman. And then uh, in 06, she's in Infamous. Talk about movies that sat on the shelf for a very long time. The other Truman Capote movie, Infamous. And yeah, I think then you don't really see... I'm trying to think of like the next time she's in a movie that she would have gotten any kind of like awards buzz for. And I... She faded away really quickly. Yeah. I mean, she does a bunch of like TV. Unfortunately, because she's wonderful. Um... She got cast in that television series. Do you remember Six Degrees? Do you remember the TV series Six Degrees, which was in that sort of post-lost everything? Now all of a sudden, like serialized television. Oh is a thing. yeah, where everything has to be episodic to the point of following different characters every episode. Right. And so this one, it was called Six Degrees, and everybody. The whole premise was that like everybody has a connection to each other in some way. And she's in it and Campbell Scott's in it and Erica Christensen and Bridget Moynihan. And it was not a Did very it good last show. a full season? No, I'm pretty sure it only lasted, yes, 13 episodes, five of which were unaired in the United States. So always a sign that a TV show got uh, nixed early. But then she's in a season of In Treatment. You remember the Gabriel Byrne? Oh, yes, HBO yes, 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 In yes. Treatment. So she was a... A patient of his for one season on that show and i remember her being really good there uh she popped up on the newsroom for a few episodes she was in a show called allegiance which i believe was an nbc show about married spies but like not fun married spies but like <laughs> not like the americans or bureaucratic like married spies right um she plays a re- retired russian intelligence operative in that okay so um i would love to hear hope davis with a russian dialect yeah so that was a knockoff of the americans for sure she's also in a season of american crime and i believe she plays timothy hutton's wife in that but i'm like not very sure so like she definitely Uh transitioned to primarily tv roles although one thing i found was interesting about this movie uh the movie proof is all four principal actors are in the mcu (laughs) which i thought was just really kind of funny where it's just like wait what is hope davis in the mcu she's tony stark's mother in that flashback at the uh oh my god right tony stark's mother and uh wife all together in one wait what Oh, the two of them. Yes, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah Pepper Potts, Tony's mother, Mysterio, and uh, Odin. All, yes, starring in Proof. Oh, that actually is a nice little entry point to the game that I devised for you, actually, when we're talking about um, actors uh, from other roles in a movie. So we 
uh, I want to get into at some point the Pulitzer Prize for drama ness of of proof and also uh, stage to screen adaptations as we have promised. But before we do, maybe this can be like our little intro to it. I devised okay. a game for you on the subject of Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer and MCU. How is this happening <laughs> together? What have you done to me? Um, this is a game about Pulitzer Prize winners for drama that became movies. Okay. Okay, you think I'm not going to remember this, but oh. I think I remember a little, uh, because like this was the type of thing that I, as an early awards watcher, I'm, and, like, I obsessive. have no doubt that this is a expertise of yours. So I am going to play uh, the game we played a little while ago when we talked about Warner Independent Films, which is, uh, I'm going to name you three characters from other movies, and you are going to name me the movie that all three of those actors are in together. All of the okay. answers will be Pulitzer Prize winners for drama that became movies. All right? Does television movies count because there's a lot of HBO movies? Uh, there are some television movies in here. I will say at least one. Okay. All right? All right. Also, um, oh no, there are some, I say for the most part, they're 1990s and after, but there are a couple exceptions to that. So. Okay. Okay. All right. To begin, your first trio of movie characters are Madeline Ashton, Mallory Knox, and John LaRoche. All right. Madeline Ashton is uh, Meryl Streep. John LaRoche um, is Chris Cooper. So I think this is August Osage County. Indeed it is. Madeline Ashton is Meryl Streep in Death Becomes Her. Mallory Knox. I want to talk about Madeline Ashton. Mallory Knox, Jen, uh, Juliette Lewis in... Natural Born Killers, and John LaRoche is Chris Cooper in Adaptation. All stars in August, Osage County. Um, that will be, <laughs> again, when we move the discussion into adaptations, we'll get into it. Okay, your next one. Detective Somerset, Ninny Threadgood, mm-hmm. and Elwood Blues. Mini Threadgood. Ninny with an N. Uh, Ninny Threadgood. That is, okay, who plays Ninny? That it, I mean, it is fried green tomatoes. It is. There's a lot of people in fried green tomatoes, more than you remember. It might be Lois Smith. Ninny. Oh no, Ninny Threadgood is Jessica Tandy. Yes. Um. Ew! Did Driving Miss Daisy win a Pulitzer? Ew! Yes, it did. Ew! It's Driving Miss Daisy. Detective Somerset is, of course, Morgan Freeman in Seven, and Elwood Blues is Dan Aykroyd, Oscar nominee Dan Aykroyd, um, when he was in The Blues Brothers. All right, next one. God damn, Daisy. <laughs> fuck off. Fuck off. Uh, your next one are Naturel Rivera, Winston Shakespeare, and Cece Bloom. Uh, Winston Shakespeare? Indeed. CC Bloom, I know. What was the first one again? Naturel Rivera. Mmm. See, oh, what the fuck is CC Bloom? I know that name. You do. Natural Rivera. Hmm. The middle one again? Winston Shakespeare. Why can't I get CC Bloom? 
Oh, is CC Bloom? No, 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 no. Wait, what did you think it was? No, I didn't have it. Um, CC Bloom, think um, lifelong friendship between women. Yeah, yeah. That maybe ends in in sadness. In sadness, right? Um, oh, it's um. No, no, it's not Bet Midler in Beaches. Well, CC Bloom is it? Bet CC Bloom is, is the Bette lead Mid- character in Beaches. Yes. Yeah, So it's Bet Midler. Bet Midler in a. Pulitzer winner. Is it? It's not one of the HBOs. Listen, it is. Chris, listen to how specifically I'm saying this. Cece Bloom <gasps> is... Mayim Bialik. You are, you are thinking correctly, but there is perhaps another avenue to go down. Oh, no. Is it the Lifetime remake? Uh-huh. With Adina Menzel, it's got to be Rent. <laughs> I'm so glad you got Real there. Cece Bloom is uh, the character Adina Menzel played in the Lifetime remake of Beaches. Naturel Rivera is, of course, Rosario Dawson's character in 25th Hour. And Winston Shakespeare is the name of Tay so Diggs in How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Gotcha. All right. Gotcha. I haven't seen How Stella Got Her Groove Back since I was like a teenager. All right. I I was allowed to watch that as a teenager. I don't know. He's very okay. attractive in that. Okay. Next one. Uh, yeah. Uh, Amanda Waller, Amelia Earhart, and Phil Parma. Uh, definitely. Um. Oh no! It is. It's doubt. Work it through. Tell me how you got there. Amy Adams has Amelia Earhart in Night at the Museum. Nice. A Night at the Smithsonian. I'm, I'm surprised that didn't called. fool you into a uh, Hillary Swank. Uh, direction. Hillary Swank does not have a Pulitzer she movie doesn't. on her. Uh, Amanda Waller is Viola Davis in Suicide yes. Squad, and Phil Parma is Philip Seymour Hoffman in Magnolia. Okay, next one. Yes. Maury Schwartz, Danny Collins, and Jack Ryan. Uh, well, Danny Collins is. Um, this is, uh, it's Glenn Glare, Glenn Ross. Danny Collins is Al Pacino. Jack Ryan is, um, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin in The Hunt for Red October. Who's Maury Schwartz? You want to take a stab? Uh, is it gonna be, like, it's not Jack Lemon. Uh, it is Jack Lemon. It is Jack Lemon. all right. Uh, in Tuesdays This is a tough Maury. game because, like, all of the things blur together Indeed. and like create chaos in my brain jack lemon in tuesdays with maury the much beloved uh performance remember when that was like such a thing yeah okay next one uh mrs baskin dick cheney and edward r murrow all right uh ed harris strathairn where are you getting ed harris uh dick cheney from what uh oh no wait I'm thinking of the wrong thing um is it Christian Bale then no no what's another movie uh, where Dick Cheney would have been a character whole bunch of them W right Richard Dreyfus right is it Dreyfus in that movie right Dreyfus and Strathairn right oh um it's Lost in Yonkers yes Mrs Baskin is Mercedes Rule's character in Big. 
and yeah, oh, Dreyfus and Strathairn all in Lost in Yonkers. Pulitzer Prize winner. Okay. So good. It's so good. Uh, this one could be interesting. Um, John Quincy Archibald, Abilene Ooh. Clark, and Bubba Blue. Okay. Abilene Clark. That's one that I know. This is maybe a little evil, this one. No, Bubba Blue. Um, that's Forrest Gump. This is Fences. Wow. You got that way quicker. Okay, work that one through. What are the other ones? Abilene Clark is, um, that's Violet Davis. Is that her character in The Help? It is. Yeah, yeah. And what about John Quincy Archibald? Ar- Archibald? That, um, is that John Q? Yes. <laughs> Denzel. <laughs> yes. It's John Q. It's Denzel and John Q. Okay, next one. Ada Monroe, President Benjamin Asher, and Aunt Jet. Aunt Jet. Aunt Jet? Jet. Ada Monroe. Ada Monroe. <sighs> okay. I might try to do the cheating thing and remember. No, plays no, try and do it on the on the merits of the game. It's much better. Okay, that way. all right, president, someone who's played a president. Um, right. See, I think I did the harder one. All right, let's let's start over. Okay. Okay. Ada Monroe, Harvey Dent, and Aunt Jet. Oh, okay. So Harvey Dent, it's either Aaron Eckhart or uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Aaron Eckhart had to have been in something and i don't think that tommy lee jones was um you're on the right track oh is it um mm, is it rabbit hole yeah work it out okay adam and oh adam and row is nicole kimmon in uh cold mountain right any clue who aunt jet is uh, I mean, it's got to be either Diane Weist or Sandra O, oh, or maybe uh, Tammy Blanchard. It, it is Diane Weist in Practical Magic. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. Right. Beautiful. All right. Your next one. Muddy Waters, Mrs. Potts, and Ruth Jameson. Uh, Muddy Waters, that is... Oh, this is Angels in America, Muddy, Muddy Waters is Jeffrey Wright in Cadillac Records. Ruth Jameson is Mary Louise Parker in um, Fried Green Tomatoes, and I don't remember the middle name. Mrs. Potts. Oh, uh, well, uh, uh, oh, Emma Thompson, and God, why would you ever, <laughs> ever deign to bring up oh. the live-action Beauty and the Beast with me? Ever. Indeed. Indeed. All right. How dare uh, you? Last two. Uh, Kay Corleone, Francis Farmer, and Carrie White. Um, Sissy Spacek. Should be August Osage County. Um, Kay Corleone. That's Diane Keaton. Um, oh, Diane Keaton and Sissy Spacek did Crimes of the Heart get yeah. a Pulitzer. Okay. It did. Crimes of the Heart. Francis Farmer is Jessica Lang in Francis. Okay. All Last right. one. Cleopatra, Sidney J. Musburger, <laughs> and Sam the Snowman. What? Um, Cleopatra. I guess in the Cleopatra? The Cleopatra. I mean, it's not Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Correct. 
because like there's that whole controversy that it didn't win. Correct. What else would she have been in? Oh, um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah. Uh, Sidney J. Musburger is Paul Newman in The Hudsucker Proxy, and Sam sure. the Snowman is voiced by Burl Ives in uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Good job on this game, Chris. Well done. I want to do this game at game night tonight and see if anybody else can get him. I did kind of do some backwards thinking which on ones? a ton of it. No, I think um, you worked it out. Uh, you worked most of them you out. You worked it out the way that you wanted the game to be played versus my cheating the last time. That you you do getting... <laughs> all right, for the listeners, we played this game at our game night uh, recently with Fox Searchlight titles, and we had to stop Chris from answering because Chris just knew all the Fox Searchlight titles by memory and was just, like, throwing them out left and right and getting them all right, and uh, uh, we had to stop him somehow so i have to be good for something <laughs> okay so all right now we're on the subject Proof. of pulitzer pulitzer winner, winner. so you I think about to... a lot of those titles and some of them actually are pretty good oscar successes right mm-hmm. like driving miss mm-hmm. daisy wins best picture fences gets best supporting actress for viola davis and um, a best picture nomination and a best picture nomination uh doubt could have very easily been sixth place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If there's a top ten in 2008, Doubt's on it, for sure. Mm-hmm. It gets four acting nominations for its principal characters. Um, Glengarry, Glenn Ross, and Rabbit Hole both get acting nominations. Obviously, Angels in America is a massive Emmy success. Crimes of the Heart gets an acting nomination. So, Who was nominated in Crimes of the Heart? Was it Sissy Spacek? Tess no? Harper. Tess Harper as the supporting actress. Oh, interesting. Actress. Oh, that, that role's fun. Yes. Um, and then August Osage County, of course, gets nominations for Streep and Roberts. But like, I think August Osage County is an interesting uh, comparison where mm-hmm. even with just getting those two acting nominations, it felt like that's the very least. Like, it, August Osage County mm-hmm. still got the very least. And I think... If it's any good, if it's, I, I do think, I mean, I shouldn't say it's not any good, because I think August Osage County has its moments. But It's watchable. If it's a great movie, that film gets everything, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I think that's instructive in terms of what works on stage versus what works in film, and how you have to, like, mold it and work it, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I never saw August Oscar. Ugh, I have such a hard time saying it. <laughs> August Osage August. County. I guess I have to like really like Osage. almost like pause for the colon in that August mm-hmm. Osage. August County. colon Osage County. Right. So uh, d- did you see that on stage? I did. Um, so tell uh, me what I they saw- fucked up. <laughs> uh, there is absolutely like no political subtext or context um, in the movie version that there is. Um, on the stage um, where you're kind of like marinating in it and like what the stage pictures are, how you think generally generationally about a certain type of um, apathetic white middle American. Um, none of that is in the movie. None of it. It's just these, this family and right. their relation to each other, not their larger context to like, the American cultural landscape. 
Yeah. Um, when you mentioned, when you said politics, I was like, huh, I would have never considered politics as part of that story, given my only experience with it is watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the it makes you think that a lot is taken, or not a lot is taken from the script because it's three and a half hours on the stage and right. it's like a two hour and ten minute movie. Right. But like, it really misses a lot of um, just like kind of what it makes you sit and think about, like larger what this type of mindset that we're watching means for the American consciousness. Yeah. Um, and I think what Tracy Letts was actually like getting at in a bigger picture. Um, yeah. The, the, the movie just has none of that. On top of also being, it's never as like acidic or funny as right. it is on the stage. Right. Like it like feels like eat your such fish a... Which feels like the funniest part of the movie. It's still, it's mostly funny because it's Julia Roberts freaking the fuck out over fish. I right. saw Amy Morton um, in that role who Amy originated so the role. good. I love her so much. It's like maybe the best performance I ever saw on a stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, just like I can't imagine how like she just like put everything on the stage. And I can't imagine physically how a person uh, could do that <laughs> eight times a week, run that marathon. Yeah. Um, incredible. Incredible. I saw Amy Morton in the Who's, Afri- Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with uh, it's her and Tracy Letts and Carrie Coon. And I can't remember who the fourth person was, but like uh, so fantastic. So amazing. And obviously Tracy Letts is interesting casting in that regard because he wrote August Osage County and Amy Morton, you know, was such a big success from from that. But yeah, she's phenomenally fantastic and really as a film actress i don't remember her in much she's in a small role in up in the air is really the only film mm-hmm. performance i really can she's think great of in that her. movie she is she's fantastic in that movie um but uh yeah fantastic stage actress so yeah i sort of in our little outline i kind of jotted down some recent examples of stage to screen adaptations and they really do kind of run the gamut the history boys had a lot of expectation really really they basically transferred over that entire stage cast to the Mm -hmm. film so it's a very faithful adaptation i i have a you know soft spot for history boys i really do enjoy it but like not an oscar success Rabbit Hole gets the nomination for Nicole, but... Should have gotten more. Should have gotten a lot more. Rabbit Hole's like the example of the movie that maybe is even better than what's on the stage. Interesting. I never saw that on stage either. I I had only seen it locally, but I'd read the script while it was... um, Before the movie came out. I think that's an interesting... When we talk about how proof kind of struggles to establish itself uh, cinematically... I think Rabbit Hole with, again, that's not a play that has a lot of, you would imagine, like, ways to open it up into this sort of, like, big production, right? It's still Mm -hmm. basically... It all takes place in their home. It's small, it's human, it's about grief. But I think John Cameron Mitchell does a really good job as director of finding ways 
to I think the thing with the the notebook and the drawing, which I think is so affecting, that's sort of like the um the comic book that the Miles Teller character draws and shows her. That's a thing that you can't really reproduce on stage. Unless I guess mm-hmm. you could have like a you know projection screen or something like that. But I think that's something that is sort of unique to being able to film it. You can get up close with them. You can see the drawing. You can see whatever. And it's such an affecting moment. And I think that's a way where it's like, they didn't have this big production number. They didn't, you know, throw a notebook into a moving car. They didn't have anything <laughs> like that. But it's like, it's really effective. And also, um, it's insane that Diane Weist didn't get nominated for Rabbit Hole. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Her scene Great. talking about the brick in your pocket, describing grief as like a brick in your pocket, is a scene I will just watch over and over again just on its own because it's so, so good. And also the scene where um, she tells the story about telling her friend to get her fat ass out of the house and and stop eating all her cinnamon buns. <laughs> is the, her and, and Kidman's reaction to that it's such a great scene you know I never had a moment to myself so finally in the middle of coffee one afternoon I said Maureen why are you always here what'd she say she said I want to be there Nat I want to share in your grief and I said well it's not working you plant your fat ass in that chair every freaking day you did not say that. I did mom I did say that you said fat ass and she sucks up all my coffee and I don't see you leaving with any of this alleged grief you're sharing. In fact, the only thing you do take out of here are my cinnamon buns. So I never saw her again, obviously. I believe it's Tyne Daly that was that I think role that's on right. the stage. Cynthia Nixon was the lead. Tyne Daly was uh, was the mom. Yeah. Um, Doubt, obviously, we mentioned... Uh, Which had higher hopes than all of the acting nominations. I think Viola Davis and Amy Adams probably saved that movie. That's another movie that's kind of stripped of its, you know, political context. It's very allegorical to how we felt about the invasion of Iraq and, you know... Um, oh, that's interesting. Evidence versus certainty right. Um, right. in terms of what we're doing and, like, now you look back on it and it's like is this really maybe the allegory we want to be making for um right for those things but like you could when i saw that on broadway it's like you could feel like people stewing in like just that idea of and like self-conflict of certainty versus evidence you know yeah now that you mentioned that that, and again watching the film you you really you don't get that um a lot of people were certain, talk about certainty, um, certain that this that was going to be the movie that would get Meryl her third Oscar. It was obviously a Tony-winning role for Cherry Jones. Um, that's another thing where I would, I would have liked to have seen what Cherry Jones could have done with that role on film. It makes all the sense in the world that you would cast a big movie star like Meryl in that, but... Oh, I would have loved to have seen what Cherry Jones could have done with that on stage. She was incredible. Or on, on screen. Um, Her opposite Adrian Lennox was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is the Viola, Viola Davis plays her in the film. Adrian Lennox, who we just saw in... Uh, the Butler. Butler. Yes. Uh, August Sausage County, we just mentioned. Frost Nixon's an interesting one. Because Frost Nixon, I think, succeeds as an Oscar play far better than it should. I don't love Frost Nixon. I don't dislike it. But to be a 
Best Picture nominee from when there were only five Best Picture nominees. Mm-hmm. And to a movie be, that nobody cared about, probably less people cared about than The Reader. And The Reader right. is the one that year that people are like, what the fuck? People at least had strong opinions on The Reader, even if you hated it. Frost Nixon is such a middle line. Like, it's one of those mm-hmm. perfect examples of a movie where it gets an Oscar nomination and you're like, but did people rank that as their number one? Like, it's so weird that, like, who loves Frost Nixon besides, like, Frank Langella and his immediate family? Um, he also gets a nomination for that. And it's weird because, like, for all that success and for all that, like, sort of puzzling success, Ron Howard, best director for what? Um, it doesn't get nominated for what I thought it should have, which was Michael Sheen as uh, mm-hmm. as David Frost. Well, they ran him in supporting, right? They did, because, yeah. Which is bananas. Sure, because it's called Frost Nixon. It's about both of them. Yes, He's in it more than Nixon. But, like, Langella does, like, Langella's the Hannibal Lecter of that movie, right? Where, like, like his Nixon is sort of, like, you get why that's the focal point. And Langella's very, very good in that. Uh, He won the Tony Award for that as well. Um, And then another example... And a movie we will do at some point, despite our distaste for the director, is uh, God of Carnage, which was adapted to merely Carnage for the film. Um, a fantastic theater experience. and one With Hope that, Davis. With Hope Davis. Oh, God, Hope Davis. Hope Davis. You can all like, no credit for that role, but it was so good. And she was so funny. She's so Barfs funny. across the stage. <laughs> Like the, the the moment where she does, it comes out of nowhere, and the the audience reaction to that. I remember seeing God of Carnage. I was in like maybe the third to last row in the balcony, the most uncomfortable theater seating experience perhaps of my life. Um, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just maybe that like contributed to how much I loved the because of the play because the play is about just this like horribly uncomfortable situation between these two couples. Um, but when Hope Davis starts puking in that scene, the audience just like fucking flips their lid. It's just like the 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 gasp and reaction to it is really something. She ends up uh, losing the Tony to her co-star Marsha Gay Harden, who is. Because they rightly so put everybody as leads. Right. Um, well, because the Tony Awards, you have to. There's a rule where mm-hmm. if you are uh, an above the title star, you have to be placed in a lead category. It is how, like, it's, you you wish there was some kind of rule structure in film for that. Uh, you know, in some way mm-hmm. of determining that so just just for simple fairness sake. <laughs> but uh, obviously the Oscars don't have that and it leads to any number of debates between us dorks. I think you can probably see the barfing scene on YouTube. Oh, Maybe not anymore, but I definitely had seen it yeah. um, before just to like relive like the shock of that audience. Yeah. Because like at the time too, it was like, don't tell anybody what happens. Don't tell anybody what happens because it's like the perfect gag. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that that was, what a thrill. Um, <laughs> what a thrill for Marsha. Yes. Uh, I did mention also we have one, you know, whenever, again, we start to get new films again. They are doing a big screen version of The Humans, which was a, a big play just a few years ago. They are, that's one of the ones where it's mostly, it's almost entirely the original Broadway cast, except for 
the father, am I correct? Uh, no, the mother, Jane Howdy Shell, is going to be in the movie. No, but I think it's everybody, or is she the only, is she the only She's crossover? She's the only one, because okay. it's, I got it like, backwards. June Squibb, Steven Yeun, Amy Schumer. Right, um, right. Beanie Feldstein. Who's, who's playing? It's Beanie um, yeah. and uh, Richard Jenkins. I right, right. It's a yes. Okay, so right. I had it backwards. It's only one from the original cast. Jane Havishel won the Tony, I believe, for that. Is yes, fantastic in that show. I really, really liked that show a lot. Um, but that's another one where that one had. There's a lot of context in that play as well, as I recall. And you mm-hmm. wonder. I'm. I'm. I'm trepidatious about this big screen adaptation. I I wonder how successful it can be. I, I'm very curious about it. It's an A24 movie, and they said they are not doing any type of like uh, switching to uh, premium VOD. So like, it could even probably be held until next year. Yeah, that um, wouldn't surprise me. And they'll they'll be sitting on actually quite a lot of movies. Um, so who knows? It's an interesting. Uh, I'm not sure what I think about that strategy. Actually, where I think once we go back to theat to being able to watch movies in theaters, I think it's going to be so hard. I think to get people into like to feel comfortable in that kind of a setting anyway. And maybe I'm being yeah. A I, little I naive. kind of have zero interest in being right. in that space right now even though they're reopening here and i feel like we're just gonna wind up with an even more starkly polarized thing of just like the biggest movies go to theater and nobody sees anything that's not absolutely you have to see it in a theater in a big screen or whatever anything Mm -hmm. smaller than that i would imagine people are going to wait for and right because i've even seen people argue like go when movies weren't even like you could go and be the only person in a theater anyway and i just i don't think that's a thing because like you're in basically a box room of circulated air right, right. um and all of the things that had started to sort of make the theatrical experience more sort of comfortable or um you know you'd have you know food service and recliners and whatever and all that sort of stuff um like i can't imagine anybody serving food at a movie theater uh in the future like it's i'm sure it's still gonna happen but it's just gonna be like so weird like now all of a sudden in addition to everything else everybody's gonna be like eating and drinking and like i don't know yeah I don't know, but uh, but I think my my point was though is like I don't know why these smaller distribution arms are. I don't know what they're waiting for. Just release your stuff on VOD, even if like I mean it makes sense for a lot of people too because like production has been shut down for a long time and like what are they going to do when they run out of content to actually release anyway? Yeah, yeah, Um, that's true. So they kind of have to sit on their product a little bit as well. Yeah. Anyway, indeed. I anyway, know. proof. Yeah, let's a get lot of the like Oscar proof. buzz for it, aside from being a Gwyneth project, in like less than a decade from her win, we talked about a lot of her post Oscar win trajectory when we did Sylvia. Speaking of our two thousand and three yeah. miniseries, um, this one still felt like an extension of 
that, but it's like when you have already an Academy Award winning performer in the Pulitzer Prize play. Right. But like, I do also think that this movie, because it's a little stodgy and because like you can tell it's a movie that sat around on a shelf for a year. Yeah. It kind of started the tide of maybe this play is overhyped. Right. Or like, or just, you know, or just not a good fit for a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's interesting. Or an exciting movie. Like it's, I think the movie itself reveals all of the things that are not interesting or that are like not ambitious or like, you know, groundbreaking for the stage that like, it's like, well, what did it win a Pulitzer then? Right. Um, and maybe that's me watching it now. 20 years after it won the Pulitzer and it's like, this doesn't feel revolutionary at all. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe winning the Pulitzer gives a lot of sort of like retrospective anticipate or expectation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That now you're just like, okay, well, you know, show me why you're, you're worthy of something like that. And it's probably too much for this to live up to. I definitely think I liked this better than you did. Um, But yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's fine. I mean, like, I don't necessarily think that it's bad. I definitely think with maybe the except, I mean, I like Hope Davis and I like Gwyneth in this movie. It's almost a little too perfectly cast. Like, it's too pat with people, like, especially Anthony Hopkins, that it's like, oh, yes, they are a very good fit for the role and what the demands are for them to do. Right. But they're not really going to do anything outside of a box of what you expect. Right. Oh, I think Jake Hopkins. Gyllenhaal especially, which, like, this is obviously a big breakthrough year for him. He especially is like, let me just be incredibly charming the whole time yes. to the point where it's like he has huge laugh lines in this script yeah. that aren't that funny because he's just being charming. I will say, yes. So Gyllenhaal this year, this is obviously the Brokeback Mountain year. That's the big one for him. He gets the Oscar nomination. It's, you know, massive. He's also the year of Jarhead, which mm-hmm. is not the Oscar success that I think many, including me, thought it would be. But also, it is the movie that creates the Jake Gyllenhaal sex symbol thing. Like, he's mm-hmm. so... That movie kind of just, like, licks him up and down. You know what I mean? Where it's just, like, he's, like, he shows so much skin in that movie. He's so just sort of, like, like buffed up and... and Cheesecake. Category is... Cheesecake! Massively hot in that movie. And so, I think... Surprisingly not an Oscar nominee for anything, that movie. We could definitely do a Jarhead episode. We probably should. Um, I remember really liking it at the time, and I haven't really thought of of it at all beyond Jake Gyllenhaal's sexiness since. But I think so with those two then sort of like twin pillars that year, proof really is the sort of like... Uh, sad flat Laura Brown cake from the beginning of the hours. <laughs> it's just sort of just like oh he didn't really. I'm like but even still in this movie, um and he's playing a math dork in this movie. He's it's so much in the pocket of handsome Jake Gyllenhaal era that just it's like very much too like I'm a math I'm not a regular math dork I'm a cool math I'm a dork. hot math dork. He's so he's mm-hmm. so hot in this movie. Why is he so hot in this movie? It makes no sense. And it's almost just like he can't help it. But like every once in a while he'll just like sort of like flash this like semi grin, which is like I get it. That's the Jake Gyllenhaal face is the semi grin. Um, and he should be a better chemistry fit to. 
Gwyneth than yeah. he actually is. Correct. Their chemistry is off to me. Yeah, it's not super strong. It's not... Um, you definitely far more believe it in the scene, the fantastic scene, where she's just sort of like like dressing him down or is he's just he's she's just like mm-hmm. the math is too advanced for you you wouldn't get it you're in this pathetic band and you think you're uh you're past it at 23 because you are or at 26 because you are um she's a great in that scene but b that's much more believable that she would just sort of like be like you're not on my level because like frankly he's not in this movie like mm-hmm. yeah you're totally right it's i i don't think he's doing a bad job but like you could think of you could think of so many ways to do a better job in this movie yeah i feel like yeah you cast a character actor in it which like i think at this point he now is kind of a character actor yeah but like that's not the phase of his career that he was in but you right. would cast a character actor in this if ben shankman's your stage performer I like the leap to Jake Gyllenhaal as a screen performer. It's the most Hollywoody of the casting choices. Mm-hmm. Even with Gwyneth being like the most Hollywoody actress, I think she's less of a leap to play Catherine than Jake is to play Hal. Absolutely. And I mean, she'd already been playing this role on the stage, too. Right. right. John Madden directing this just because he directed it on the stage, I think, is also one of the problems because, like, he doesn't really bring. It's the third John Madden movie we've done. I do. I, I do want to mention that. I thought I had texted uh, you earlier in the week. I thought this was going to be our first repeat director. I was corrected. You corrected me. Who is our first? Ridley Scott. Ridley somehow, Scott with the most somehow. unwell trilogy of movies. Yes. <laughs> 1492, Conquest of Paradise, Hannibal. And Exodus Gods and Kings. How? How did we do that? How did Profoundly we somehow unwind. manage? And like as an Oscar bait trio, it's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. But yeah, so John Madden, we've also Scott. done um, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, the horrendous Captain Corelli's Mandolin. And the hey, Bella Bambina! Bella Bambina! Uh, and then the fantastically junky Miss Sloan, which, you know, I fucking Nutella love. Nutella tax! Love that Nutella tax. The, um, the John Madden trio yes. is Nutella tax, Bella Bambina, and really important proof. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really important proof. It's a proof since there were proofs. It's the proof since there were proofs. (laughs) Very important proof. But I think if you get an actor who's like more on the Shankman vibe, who's like, you know, a little skinny and awkward and... Even for this era, if it had been like Sarsgaard. Oh, that's a good one. Which like, he's pretty dreamy, but... But he's it, also weird. He would have like sense. intrinsically he a weirdo. Maybe would have been a little too old, but yes. maybe Gwyneth is a little too old for this too. Right. Where they're supposed to be like 26 year olds. Right. But like, it's fine because she's right for the role. So can I take a second to just sort of like trace uh, Gwyneth's route from one John Madden film to the other? Because I think it's an interesting, uh, what is it, seven years where. Shakespeare in Love, she wins the Oscar. Ripley is the very next year, should have been nominated again. She's fucking fantastic in that movie. Um, Justice for talented Mr. Ripley all around. Then it's this weird sort of like, um, she's in duets. She's in Bounce. We talked about Bounce uh, several months ago. 
she's in the anniversary party. Anniversary party is a really good and underrated little movie. Playing she's... herself, and she brings ecstasy to a party and <laughs> gives ecstasy to like Phoebe Cates. Speaking of uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and and uh, and Gwyneth Paltrow in playing, you know, both played Catherine in Proof, and they're both in the anniversary party. Um, Royal Tenenbaums, she's phenomenal. Again, should have been nominated for an Oscar. She's so fucking funny in that movie. She's so deadpan. She's like the commitment to keeping that face throughout that entire movie <laughs> is phenomenal. Um, Shallow Hell's an abomination. She's got that really kind of like that funny cameo in Goldmember where it's like she's not funny, but just the fact of her being in that is funny. The fact of her saying, I'm Dixie, Dixie Normus. Dixie Normus. <laughs> Not funny coming out of anybody else's mouth. Right. Then there was Possession in 2002, which is most notable for being like the Neil LeBute movie that doesn't feel like a Neil LeBute movie, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Um, View from the Top, which everybody hated. Sylvia, which we talked about as a uh, failed Oscar film. Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, which we should talk about at some point, because holy fucking shit, that movie is so Wasn't it a visual effects nominee? Oh, I could see that. Maybe that's true. Yeah. And then Proof. So, like, I feel like... And then, so... And the wild thing is, after Proof, without looking at the filmography, how many other lead roles do you think she has in the 15 roles since Proof? Or 15 oh, years man. since Proof? Um, I mean... Contagion does not count. Contagion um, doesn't count. She's great in that she's, movie. But she's a corpse. Um... I mean, probably, definitely, like, low single digits. I'm going to say, like, two. It's four, but and one none of none of the MCUs count as a lead. No, absolutely not. It's four of them, but one of them... One, wait, Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't count as a lead, I don't think. I haven't seen it. She's, like, the main love interest, but, like, that's Johnny Depp's fucking weirdness is the lead in that movie, I'm going to yeah. say. Um, I'm counting uh, two lovers country okay. strong and then yeah. those are the two that like those are the two for real ones the other two are she's in a movie called the good night directed by uh jake paltrow her brother ah uh, yes so you know whatever also nobody saw that or ever heard about it so whatever and then she's I remember the posters for it right and i believe she's a lead Maybe not, though. It's like an ensemble. That movie, Thanks for Sharing, which I never saw. The Mark Ruffalo... Oh, the sex addict Sex movie. addiction movie. With Pink. <laughs> right. With, with I'm sorry. With Alicia Moore. How dare you? Mm. She is not credited as Pink. Um, which I think is just sort of like the, the whole ensemble's on the poster. She and Ruffalo are central. I'll count that as a lead role. But like, it's four movies with two that sort of are asterisky. But she really just does kind of go away after proof in terms of being in movies yes but like gwyneth has never gone away. no 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 no. but in terms of being a lead actress in films she does right. and so proof is sort of like it's kind of a it's something of an end cap to an era where like she had been even in movies that like a people didn't like like view from the top or b people didn't see like sylvia she was at least in those movies as a lead you know mm-hmm. whatever so yeah and it's kind of a bummer cuz i do think she's very good in proof she gets the golden globe nomination which can we discuss that for half a second 
Yes. Because she was, I mean, it's definitely a weird everybody out. There's two nominated performances for Oscar in the category, and then the two other performances definitely would have been ahead of her in terms of Oscar voting as well. Yeah, this is one of those rare years where the majority of the eventual Oscar nominees are in the musical or comedy category. Reese wins for Walk the Line. Judy Dench is in comedy for Mrs. Henderson Presents. Kira Knightley for Pride and Prejudice, which, like, yeah, it is a comedy. It's, you know, not exactly a knee slapper, but it's, you know, comedy in the classical literature sense, I suppose. I mean, and Joe Wright's tone of that is definitely, oh, I think, more comedic than... It's great, also. Like, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, seriously complain Besmirch. about that. But so then you... So that leaves you with dramatic actress with sort of the, the shallower end of the pond. And... Uh, Felicity Huffman wins the Globe for Transamerica, a performance and film that would be absolutely dismissed out of hand today. You would mm-hmm. not would not even approach the awards conversation. It would be shut down immediately. And it's interesting to think of, whereas then I think it just sort of like, it not only like got a pass, but I think it got praise for the same things that would get it shut down today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, perhaps rightly so, you know, rightly so. Um, and then the other Oscar nominee from that bunch is Charlize Theron for North Country, the classic uh, follow-up nomination to a win. But the other nominations are Gwyneth and Proof, Maria Bello in A History of Violence, who was, like, all over the map in terms of lead versus supporting that year. Yep. Huge category confusion. Huge category confusion. What I, I'm not sure Incredible where I would have... performance. She's great. Oh, my God. She's really great. I probably would have put her in supporting. We've been uh, talking back and forth about Cronenberg lately, and I've been watching Cronenberg movies, and yeah. maybe we should find a, an excuse to do a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, it's obviously a can't do... one that we should do. Yeah, can't do A History of Violence, because uh, William Hurt does get nominated for that. But um, I do think I probably would have nominated her as a supporting actress that year. And then the fifth nominee is uh, uh, Zi Zhang for Memoirs of a Geisha, a film I've still never seen. Multiple Oscar winner. Uh, yeah, no film that year won more Oscars than Memoirs of a Geisha. It ended up tied with uh, Brokeback Mountain and, I guess, Crash. Did they all win three? I think Memoirs of a Geisha won four. Hold on a second. No. Now I'm going to have to look that up. No, four films Four films won three Oscars that year. So Brokeback ah. Mountain wins director, uh, score, and... What the hell else does Brokeback Mountain win? Uh, Adapted screenplay, probably? Yes. Director score and adapted screenplay. Crash wins picture, original screenplay, and... Editing? uh, Editing. Yep. Uh, King Kong wins your standard uh, visual effects and probably both sounds. Yes, visual effects and both sounds. And then Memoirs of a Geisha wins cinematography for Dion Beebe. Uh, art probably direction costume design, and, art direction. Yeah, car, yeah, costume design. So like, it's so it's it's like it's the four almost like the the the, the divisions of what Oscar like. Memoirs of a Geisha wins all the style ones. King Kong wins all the techs, and then Crash and Brokeback Mountain kind of divvy up the uh, the major ones, except for neither one of them wins any of the acting ones. So yeah, 
it's a weird, weird, weird year at the Oscars, epitomized by Jack Nicholson's uh, thoroughly flabbergasted reaction to reading Best Picture. <laughs> um, yeah, Members of a Geisha have never seen it. I probably should at some point. The score is actually fantastic. John Williams. Yeah, one of the really uh, standout John Williams scores of this sort of last couple decades of his career. But uh, yeah, so Gwyneth is, as I said, the hey, she's there nominee of that category. I feel like I think of all of them. I don't think I think all even like Bello and Jigizang got way much more Oscar buzz. Were they both nominated at SAG? Well, now I'm going to go look that up, aren't I? Uh, hold on a second. SAG Awards 2005. Uh, Zhang does get nominated for Members of a Geisha. I don't see Maria Bello anywhere. So she, okay. again, Bello is a victim of <laughs> category confusion. I'm not sure where she would have... Because uh, of the SAG, you you um, place yourself in one category or another. Uh, but that was the SAGs were where the supporting actress category kind of really firmed up, where it's the uh, Rachel Weisz, Amy Adams, Catherine Keener, Frances McDormand, Michelle Williams quintet that stays intact for Oscar. Yeah. That was the year where I think people started, I think that was the year where it was just like, oh, the SAGs are the determining precursor for the Oscars. Because that was the one where Crash wins uh, Outstanding Cast in a Motion Picture, and then after it won the Oscar, people are like, oh, we should have known because of the SAGs. And the SAGs uh, did, you know, again firmed up that supporting actress category where the Globes had nominated Shirley MacLaine for In Her Shoes and Scarlett Johansson for Match Point. So uh, I think that's the year where everybody just kind of started seeing the SAGs as the, much more than the Globes, the precursor to look for. One thing I want to bring up before we move on to the IMDb game is we haven't talked about this in a while. Uh, probably since we did An Unfinished Life, because An Unfinished Life was another one of these movies where this is a Miramax title in the era where they're like constantly shuffling their movies around. Because mm-hmm. um, this was originally intended for 2004, and they just like never held to a date and then pushed it to the next year. Yes. Um, and they did that an awful lot. So it's like by the time that the movie arrives, it already kind of has this veneer of like, if not spoiled goods, like unwanted ones. Right, yeah. I almost wonder, though, if like it had felt fresher if this had been a 2004 nominee or a 2004 movie released at the time it was supposed to, if Gwyneth could have been nominated. So, I, yeah, I mean, what is... The, the thing about Best Actress in 2005 versus 2004 is... I think 2005's a year with, like, there was room to maneuver in that category that year. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like 2004, I mean, 2004 still has Annette Bening and Being Julia, which, like, at the time felt like a contender. And now you're just like, what was yeah. going on there? Like, <laughs> what The other it? thing about 2004 is Miramax, you know, they were pushing both uh, The Aviator, Finding Neverland, but they didn't have a Best Actress person to really push yeah well that's the other thing we didn't haven't really discussed is 
this is a bad time for Miramax. Like, this was yeah. 2005, especially, like, late 2005. Like, that was when the Disney negotiations were had gone south and, and the Weinsteins had been essentially forced out of Miramax. And up until the Queen comes out in late 2006, there's this, like, just sort of no man's land in terms of Miramax movies getting Oscar push, Oscar attention. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I'm not sure this movie ever makes it there anyway. Yeah, it's um, not thrilling. No, that's the thing. And I think that's sort of... I think personal interaction can be thrilling on the stage. Often is very thrilling on the stage. And I think it's harder to pull that off in a movie. And I mm-hmm. think it, you know, you can, you can definitely pull it off in a movie, but it's hard. It's harder. I think there's something about being in a room with people that it's so much more immediate, right? There's no, yeah. rem- there's no remove. And, uh, really when you're watching a performance that you know is just existing before you it's not processed through you know editing adr you know uh, a director choosing and an editor choosing like what bits of performance you're seeing right you know a, a character like this can be more mm-hmm. compelling to watch yeah that's true in material like this did you have any sort of last notes on this I mean, I, the, we never mentioned, we talked that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is in a band with fellow, like, nerdy mathematicians. The lowercase I joke is incredibly stupid. (laughs) It is, but in a way that, like, an imaginary number that, that doesn't exist. So, like, they just stand there for their, for, like, what is it, three minutes and 14 seconds or something stupid. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Oh, here's something I noticed that's straight up insane. Did you notice the at least two instances that they overdubbed her saying fuck with a, another one? I absolutely noticed that because uh, Hope Davis gets one too. Does she? Yes. So the movie gets released as PG-13. Um, A, what's the fucking point of that? I don't right. like what's why do you need proof to get a PG 13 instead of an R rating so all the teens can go see proof? Yeah. Like, I am uh, granted at this point, I was in college. Uh, of the Venn diagram of people under 18 yes. who want to see this movie but can't without their parents, and the Venn diagram of literally just me, right? It is a circle. Also, <laughs> The, the that part of the Venn diagram is um I will say fiercely eccentric. You know what I mean? Like they'll find a way to go see an R-rated movie. They'll be fine. Right, 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 right. Like what and this movie ends up making only we said seven and a half million dollars domestic. Uh, uh, how little was it going to make as an R-rated movie? Like what's the, what's the fucking difference? It drives me crazy. I don't understand it. It's also that they're fully not hiding the fact that it was originally no, you fucked. see her like, mouth you can move see... and say fuck like it's when crazy. she sang damn it that to me was way more emblematic of like 
okay, they really, by the time they dumped this in theaters, they didn't even try. Even though they took it to Toronto and Venice, it was in competition at Venice, which is bananas to me. Um, Yes. Also, I'm sorry, I'm, again, going through my notebook. David Auburn is, like, 31 years old when this thing makes it to Broadway. So, like, so fucking young. Like, he wrote this when he was incredibly young. I don't know. I'm just, I find that very impressive. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Uh, yes, but can you give me like half a second? Because I forgot to pick out a person for the IMDb game. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> while Joe is looking up someone to taunt me with, uh, guys, we've been building up to this. Next episode is our 100th movie we've ever discussed. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I Do you feel like we're maybe overselling it now? I mean, no, I I fully am, like, preparing my schedule for it to be, like, our first three-hour episode. I wouldn't be shocked. I I, I don't know if we'll actually go that long, so that's not a promise, but we could. All right, I've got All right. Uh, I guess it's on me to explain what the IMDb game is. Oh, yeah, why don't you do that Uh, for us, Chris? I I shall do that. Uh, For listeners new and old, we, uh, every week, we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. Indeed. That's very well. Very well put, Chris, I will say. All right. Would you like to give or guess first? How about I give first this Alrighty. week? Since, All right. you know, I had my person prepared for you. Okay, so I mentioned when uh, I saw Proof on Broadway, it was with Anne Heche, who was playing her father, but none other than Len Carew. Len Carew, famously the original Sweeney Todd, opposite who was Mrs. Lovett? Angela Lansbury. Joseph, your IMDb game challenge this week is Angela Lansbury. No television. television. Motherfuck! That's so absolutely insane and unwell. Very, very stupid. Justice Uh, for Murder, she wrote. Wow. Justice for Murder, she wrote. Um, uh, But there are... Two voiceover performances. All right. Two voiceover performances. One of them is Beauty and the Beast. One of them is Beauty and uh, the Beast. All right. Give me a second to think about the other one. Speaking of Mrs. Potts, the only Mrs. Potts. The only Mrs. Potts will recognize. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Um, Manchurian Candidate. The Manchurian Candidate. Oscar-nominated performance. Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Bedknobs and Broomsticks! Yes! That very strange movie I was obsessed with as a child. Yeah. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yeah, I saw that a bunch as a child. I feel like it was on the Disney Channel a lot when I was a kid, actually. Um, when they would actually dip into their Disney vault. Okay, so I'm looking for the other voice performance. And I'm sure it's like an obvious one and it's just not sticking out in my head. Oh, oh, is it Anastasia? Anastasia! Fuck perfect yeah! score! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> she's what she's like the the uh the dowager right she's yes the, uh, she is yes okay nice choice though i was very worried you were gonna give me len carew and i was gonna be like 
<laughs> Fuck you. Okay. Wasn't he in like Spotlight or something recently? Something like that. Something very possible. He's he's sort of your go-to casting now for um uh pa- corrupt patrician uh you know member of the elite kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Right? Um I feel like he was in a he had a guest appearance in the West Wing where he played like a pharmaceutical head and he was in a season of Damages where he played some, you know, whatever ceo of something anyway anyway uh i actually went down the route of rebecca miller rebecca miller did the screenplay adaptation for proof she is of course the daughter of arthur miller and i think ex-wife right of daniel day lewis i don't think they are still together no actually i think they are still married hold on a second now i will Check that out. Rebecca uh, Miller, underrated uh, writer-director. Everybody should see Maggie's Plan just to see... Oh, they are the still married. Yes. Bananas. I've said bananas too many times this episode. But it's what Julianne Moore is doing She's in so that great. movie is utter proof that Julianne Moore can absolutely do comedy. It is so funny. Maggie's Plan, one of my least favorite Greta Gerwig performances, but one of my favorite Julianne Moore performances. She's mm-hmm. really fantastic in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Rebecca Miller also is uh, fun in a small little role in The Meyerowitz Stories, an underrated little movie, I will say. Yeah. So Rebecca Miller uh, has directed a few movies, one of which is the rare, uh, speaking of Daniel Day-Lewis, her current husband, uh, which I knew all along and didn't. Uh, have any waiver uh one of his rare uh screen performances that didn't get an oscar nomination was in the film the ballad of jack and rose that rebecca miller wrote and directed one of the stars in that movie is paul dano so yes 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 paul dano Dano could go a lot of different ways um actually in quite a few best picture nominees um there will be blood correct little miss sunshine paul and eli sunday should have been nominated i feel like for their little blood if they i agree and people still say that he's terrible in that movie and i'm like the things that make you think he is terrible are entirely the point it's people mistaking i hate that character for i hate that performance and exactly exactly yeah um little miss sunshine is correct you are too okay um hmm now I just kind of have to think of what he would show up for. Yeah. Obviously, I do not think that the Ballad of Jack and Rose will be one of those. You would be correct. Um, he's also in a lot of ensembles, man. Yep. Um, I'm going to say Prisoners. I think Prisoners has shown up for someone else. Prisoners is a great guess that is nonetheless incorrect. Interesting. He's in Okja, which is another ensemble that he's in. Netflix never shows up on here, but I still am going to guess Okja. You're, everything you said there is correct, and it is not uh, one of his four. So Netflix, Netflix stays invisible on the IMDb game. All right, so that's two wrong answers. You get hints now. Your missing films are from 2013 and 2014. Hmm. Okay. Wait, the 2014 film 
was released in 2015. It's a 2014 festival, but it's a 2015 film. Oh, that's Love and Mercy. It is Love and Mercy. Well done. Incredible. He, he. If he wasn't my winner that year, he might have been my runner-up. Um, Golden Globe nominee came probably really should have been close. an Oscar nominee. That was a weird year for supporting actor. I'll say that. Um, you think that's a supporting performance? Well, that's what he was nominated in. That was. Yeah. Oh, well, that's silly. Um, okay, so 2013, which is the year of Prisoners. It is. <sighs> It's the other movie he was in that year. Oh, it that's weird because he has like two scenes in this movie, if I yep. remember correctly. Is it 12 Years a Slave? 12 Years a Slave. Best Picture winner, 12 Years a Slave. That could be a movie that is one of those, like all the names on the poster, or most yeah. of the names on the poster have it in their known for. Because it's shown up for other people. That Who it's like is... they're not in the movie that long. So that poster credits Shiwetalegi for Michael Fassbender, Benedict Cumberbatch, Paul Dano. He's well. Oh, do they go alphabetical after uh, Fassbender? Maybe that's true because it's Ejiofor, Fassbender, Cumberbatch, Paul Dano, Paul Giamatti, Lupita Nyong'o, Sarah Paulson, Brad Pitt, and Alfre Woodard are on the poster. Mm. Alfre Woodard it has like literally one scene and it's incredible. Oh, she's so good in that scene. It's it's sort of irksome that Fassbender gets to escape the alphabetical uh, list and not Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, but anyway, uh, Twelve Years a Slave. I didn't mention it last week because uh, uh, Jordan gave a very good explication of why she did not care for that movie. I do love Twelve Years a Slave. I think it's a really fantastic movie, and I think the cast is pretty much uniformly fantastic uh, i love steve mcqueen period um yeah. i'm excited to see what he uh, the um stuff that he's working on with amazon yeah i am I, I am in general bummed out that we seem to be losing so many good film directors to television series at this point um mcqueen and barry jenkins are both working on amazon series i believe and uh, kind of a bummer just because I fucking love movies and they make very good ones. But, you know, whatever. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. Good episode, Chris. Fantastic. Great episode. We've got a big one coming next week. Why? What's that? I don't understand. I'm not sure. The, the 100th sure. episode. I know. We were just talking about it. <laughs> I, know. I wanted to get you to say it again because uh, we're so very hyped for it. Yeah. Um, uh, proof. I liked it a lot better than I thought I did. So good for me. Good for me that I found another thing to like. Thank God for me. Wonderful. That's our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also, please, we encourage you to support the Martha P. Johnson Institute to protect and defend the human rights of black transgender people in America. Black That's trans all. lives matter. Marsha P.org, M A R S H A P.org. Thank you. Well done. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled both ways uh, R E I D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So please try to differentiate your writing style 
file from that of your fathers and scribble out a nice provable testimonial for us, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Very important proof. Oh,